0: An obsession. Journey into the world of his Gorda and travel along with the boy from that way as he embarks on a quest to return to the very depths of the nightmare that brought him through the White Door. once more as we step through The White Door. So, welcome to chapter 16 of The White Door, The Heart of Strings. So one of the things that you may notice is that after the intro played, um, instead of a Amazing fantasy magic filled bit here about the upcoming chapter, I thought we would try something different, which is maybe a little more mellowed out, a little more involved in the storytelling and maybe a little bit more of a relaxed experience and give me a chance to tell you a couple of things that we're going to be changing about the story. Um, and the first one, obviously, is we're going to do more personal intros to each chapter from here on out, instead of this sort of feeling. I feel like as the story goes on, we're sort of hitting on like a copy and paste feeling about the beginning of each chapter, and I and I don't want to lose that unique quality or make it feel like we're just, you know, rushing everything out. Because I mean, let's be honest, it's a very indie podcast anyway, and <laughs> we have the highest production values. Um, So we're definitely going to do more beginnings like these. They won't be as long-winded and have explanations, but, you know, we'll get through them. Uh, So that's one of the things we're going to be doing. And I think the other thing that we probably will be doing is toning down, like, the sound effects and the crazy music. I'm not saying we won't still do some of that, but maybe not as much. You know, one of the things I did phase out was, like, voices and things, and, There's even a high chance we may go back and redo some of the earlier chapters, but anyways, enough out of me. Um, Let's get into uh, chapter 16 from The White Door, Heart of Strings. I really appreciate you guys hanging out. Um, It's been a long time in between the last chapter and this one. And I promise that from here on out, we're going to try to do like a, every 30 days till the for the rest of the story. And we, we've we got probably 15 more chapters to go, so it should be pretty great. Anyways, we're going to jump right back into the story with Slendari. Um, he is still relentlessly chasing the boy from that way and Mantigmatic. Um, I believe when we left off with Slendari, he was leaving the town of Edoch-Eri, the weird, strange town where the living and the dead find a way to be together. Um, Mandic and the boy uh, met up with Janus of Tol Amroth, I believe, and so we will continue on with the story. And I thank you guys for taking an extra second to listen to this super long introduction. Here we go with Chapter 16, The Heart of Strings. Chapter 16, The Heart of Strings Leaving the twisted town of Edok Erie was like watching life work in reverse. As each mile fell away, the landscape began changing from the rustic and dirty colors of death and decay to a more vibrant span of green and yellow. Even the sky that appeared so intentionally dreary over Edok change like a new patch in the quilt of clouds above. Dead trails and limp trees began to give way to dazzling pastures and soft-rolling hills freckled with golden wildflowers. Animal life, too, had begun to spring back into the landscape. The animals around Edok were great and sluggish, some of them already well past a decent state of decay. Slandari himself had seen a couple of rabbits in a field the previous day, barely a ribbon of meat left on any of them. Before that, he had seen an entire field of dead livestock standing there motionless, now that their only joy of grazing had become unnecessary. This was hardly the case now that the town was behind him, that dreary, dreary edock Deer flittered across the fields and songbirds colored the skies. A few new rabbits, alive and very well, bounded down to a nearby brook, which was bubbling nature's tune and flecked with darting images of silvery fish. Sundari could see the water was plentiful with these fish and also several surface insects that were dancing a tempting tune to the animals below, eagerly watching for a meal, no doubt, more so than the song at hand. Sundari smiled at a beetle's swift demise as he watched a trout break the surface and engulf a large pool of water. Even the sun itself appeared to be washed over with a glimmering newness, as the elf put more distance between himself and that in-between strange town. He found himself squinting as if he had been locked away for years, eyes foreign to such bright sun, his wide acute pupils taking many miles to adjust to the new light. Sundari assumed less light was needed where less living things are, and turned around in his saddle to see the tepid darkness hanging over Edok far, far behind. Ahead of him, by contrast, light flooded the elf the closer he got to the bird-snatch woods. Slendari huffed as he thought about the tailor's bliss and ignorance regarding the blue wand. He wondered how such a powerful thing could end up in the row pocket of such a simple man as the tailor. It was obvious to Slendari that the good-hearted fool of a tailor had no idea what power he had, and chances were that, of course, it would be he who held the blue wand. Truly, he thought, the wand was meant for only one as great as King Rayekmar. It was good to be the right hand of the king especially when success wrought such fantastic reward. and Ekmar had promised the elf more than the fantastic. You see, Slendari desired the power of the Blue Wand, and his journey towards Birdsnatch Wood left him with much time to daydream about such power, that power in his hands. He imagined himself godlike, wielding the wand to open the white door for himself and steal the treasures within. He fantasized about taking that final Le Hindwin for himself and all the powers that came with it. He would crush anyone who opposed him and hold dominance over the weak and the defeated the bent, the broken. The elf smiled now and again when Aizen's future and his humiliation and death intertwined with those very daydreams. It was not out of loyalty or stalwart allegiance that kept the elf from chasing his power hungry dreams, but fear. Terror driven in deep by the hand of the king like a master carpenter's stroke upon the nail. You see, there was no question. King Rayakmar would scar the world a hundred times over for that which opens the white door. Thus, what he would do to a single betrayer seemed, in short, filled with unimaginable horror. Screams only the king could conjure from the depths of even the purest and blackest souls. Sundari could still remember the first time he had bared witness to the king's insatiable wrath when it came to questing for the White Door. It was many years ago now, back when Reakmar was warring against the last of the Lehenduin forces. Sundari had recently been promoted to the king's guard, and it was his first time out on official business with the king, and long before the forming of the jaildurst. He and the king were to inspect the last wave of troops that were to be thrown at Lehendwa. The sun was bright that morning. The elf could still see the young soldiers in his mind. There were thousands of them, all dressed alike in sparkling chess pieces and shields. Their faces were young and full of the kind of youthful vigor that drives the long arm of war. Set in perfect and unmoving rows, they looked more like a field of silent statues than anything. They were exactly what the king wanted from them, obedient and faceless. Reekmar personally asked the elf to accompany him that morning. It seemed tradition that when a soldier was promoted to the king's guard that he spent the next few days under strict observation of the king. The crown never looked away. Nevertheless, Slendari was at center court early, with the same fire in his eyes as the other young soldiers. And without a word, King Reikmar began to inspect the troops. The elf, unsure exactly as to what the proper proceedings were, followed rigidly behind him. King Reikmar stopped in front of one of the soldiers abruptly, turning slowly towards the young man. Slendari felt the air change quickly, as if a nipping breeze had blown in from nowhere. He watched in nervous silence as the king looked the soldier up and down a few times. Sundari had noticed the problem, he had seen it earlier, he would have quickly gestured the to soldier to put it away. However, now that the king had spotted the gold chain around the man's neck, there was no helping the Aplis soul. "'And what is your name?' Archibald said, his voice calm and deep like an ocean cave. "'Caitulcurn, your majesty.' Adonis Ketokern, lord, third bow shot and second sword of the brass Thorn Platoon, my king, pressed the soldier through a nervously tightened throat. Hmm. Second sword, you say? My, my, my. Have you heard, Sundari? We have a real champion here in our midst, came the king. His voice eager. Those eyes were hard fixed on the necklace. Like Adonis, Sundari did not speak. Tintella, tell me our regimented and respected uniform, which I designed personally, come with a gold necklace? No? How about rules stating the ability to personalize my uniform, perhaps? The king said this as he turned his back to Adonis, facing Slendari squarely. No, my lord, it, it does not, stammered the elf. King Ryakmar turned around slowly to Adonis for the second time. No, you say... The king was now staring directly into Adonis's eyes. The soldier appeared to be too afraid to look away, and yet mortified as they both stood. He was at least a foot shorter than Archibale, adding an extra factor of intimidation as the king loomed over him. Sundari watched on helplessly, wondering where this was going to go, wondering where it would end. With delicacy that was that of a mother's touch upon her own babe, the king hooked a gloved finger under the gold chain and pulled it from its hiding place under the soldier's chestplate. A medallion, glittering brightly in the morning sun, fell limply under the king's open palm. He closed his hand and snatched the necklace from Ondance's neck and calmly reopened his hand. Dilf could see it immediately, and it turned his stomach. The medallion face was adorned with several engravings, the largest being a teardrop with scaled wings. The outer rim of the circular medallion had a language written in script in a dazzling and elegant display. The elf recognized the language to be one of dragon origin. A dead silence swept over the courtyard as the emblem of the Lehenduan Empire glinted like a star in the king's hand. Adonis began to try to explain immediately. I know. I, I, you, you see, my family. Your family is what, soldier? The king said. Are they of Lehenduan blood? No, sir, they are, they are priests in a temple in the mountains. In a flash of movement, Ragmar swung the necklace hard, striking Adonis across the face and dropping the soldier to his knees. Blood dripped to the parade grounds under the soldier's bent head. The king harshly put a boot to the back of the soldier's neck and flattened him out on the ground as he pressed Adonis' face into the growling pool of his own blood. King Archibald bent over and dangled the Lehindouan charm mere inches above the side of the humiliated soldier's face. I do not have patience for families, especially ones who chose to cavort with such swine as Lehindouan, he said darkly. A deep red glow began to emit from the king's clenched fist around the necklace. In seconds, a dull steam accompanied by the stink of chemicals took to the air. Slindari could see that the king was using the sorceries of fire and heat to melt the necklace. The elf tried to divert his eyes, but Riekmar ordered him to watch, ordered him to see. He never forgot the screams of Adonis as the hot metal dripped onto the poor soldier's face. Nor did Slindari ever forget the dreadful smile of the king, stamped upon his memory like a sign of warning. One more soul for the death mines, Slindari said out loud now. "'shaking the awful memory of Adonis from his mind. "'He felt numb from such thinking, "'but the memories tended to relinquish scholarly use "'when Slendari found himself swaying from his loyalty to the king. "'Such situations like the blue wand "'where power that was not his to command, in fact, could very well be. "'Slendari casually and aimlessly plucked the strings of his violin. Kamar, you will see my loyalty through and my strength.' He wondered what the king was doing and how much he already knew about the current situation. Surely by now he had learned of the disbanding of the jailburst, which, though it was sudden, seemed to be permanent. Yelf was intrigued by whether the king would be furious over Aizen still being free or rather impressed at the stalwart dedication of Slendari's solo work, like a great violin piece alone above the crowd, above his peers, if he had any. Of course, Mantic's turncoat antics soiled the name of the jail-durst as a whole, but it also shone a light on those still loyal to the king, to the crown, those loyal like Slendari. A fork in the road corralled Slendari's rambling thoughts, and he brought his horse to a stop in the center of the road. An old wooden sign, half-rotted and leaning with disrepair and age, pointed directions on several cracked and peeling white painted arrows. The arrows had destinations written on them, though many of the letters had some form of wood rotting on brittleness cascading about. Still, the elf could make them out. North, Edo East, bird-snatched village and wood. West, the great red road. Slendari sat there for several long minutes. A great black bird soared over him, its large shadow passing over a second later. The elf knew he was getting closer to the tailor. He could just feel it in his bones like a winter breeze. Dark, cold weather. He could sense it before it arrived, and each step that brought him closer to the tailor also brought him closer to revenge, to greatness. A smile crept over the elf's face as he reared his horse and set off towards a bird snatch village. The road was dusty and felt less civilized, giving in to being easily pushed here and there by strong wind. The road thought to its creation, but those thoughts appeared to be long forgotten by anyone except perhaps the oldest of road scholars and travelers. Slendari reckoned that one great gale could completely erase the entire thing. He couldn't remember if an actual road had been built here long ago, or if this was some ever-used path. Either way, even the dirt and dust on top had forgotten what was buried below. He stopped a few miles outside of Birdsnatch Village for some water and to tie a bandana over his nose and mouth. The violinist rode around Birdsnatch Village and came upon the edge of the woods without being seen. He had never been to Birdsnatch Village, but he knew there lived a tribe of wood elves who, last he recalled anyway, had a thing for sacrificing people to flesh eating trees. Those very trees could be heard echoing their creaks and moans from deep within the forest even now. He looked behind him one more time to make sure no one was following him. His eyes saw no one, save a few traders leaving the nearby village. Overhead, the elf heard a proud call of a bird like some sort of aerial battle cry, strong and prideful. Shielding his eyes, he looked up to see a large black bird flying above him before turning towards Bird Snatch Wood. The elf wondered if it was the same great black feathered beast as before. He began to think about spies again, just as the paranoia began to seep into the elf's veins. One of the trees near the forest edge reached out and snapped up the giant bird with his branches. A flash of brown and black, and nothing was to be seen of the bird, save a few feathers carried away in the overhead wind. That place to be a bird, the elf said as he stepped beyond the tree line and into bird Snatch wood. After pulling the bandana from his face, Sundari took several deep breaths. His eyes closed as he took in the many scents of the forest. Moss, mold, wood, foliage, fruits, decay, dew, new life, old life. All of these things gave their secrets to the else well-trained and highly acute nose. There was something else in the air, something that didn't belong, something unnatural, something cozy and purple the old shot open suddenly as the smell of lush purple fabric invaded his senses he smiled madly and knew that the tailor was close closer than he had anticipated a feeling washed over slendari as he set off following the trail that led him deeper into the dead forest revenge pulled heavily across his mind like the bow across the string resonating a deep vibration of anger Bird Snatch was unlike any other forest that Sundari had ever been in. Nothing was green or lush or vibrant. Everything seemed to be dead or brown or dying or trying to kill you or being killed. Sundari crunched his way across the forest floor and had yet to see a single, vibrant, inviting color or sign of passive life. Even the fruit appeared to be growing on the vine, already rotting or poisoned. They elf figured it probably had something to do with the far-reaching weirdness of Edoctiri and its lingering confusion on what is life and what is death. Not a single bird sang in the treetops, nor any critter stir on the forest floor. Slendari could only hear movement when he himself moved and the occasional whistle of the wind as it zipped through the tight-knit trees. The silence made Slendari a bit more cautious as he knew full well the potential maliciousness that often came with unnatural silence, and this place certainly was both unnatural and very silent. As silent as the knife before a kill. The trees grew closer together the deeper the elf trekked into the wood. It wasn't unnatural for a forest to do this, and Slendari knew the oldest parts of most woods tended to be the thickest. And yet, After a while, it became hard to see far in any direction as the closing trees had become almost a wall, growing so close together in some places that two or more trees had actually fused and grown into what looked to Slendari like a massive and mutated single tree. The old found himself having to slip sideways in some areas and walking around in circles before finding a place to squeeze through. The scent of the soft fabric pulled him along like a hooked breeze. Every step he took he could feel the excitement in his muscles, like a master fisherman was pulling that hook upon the breeze, reeling him in. Every breath he tasted the tailor, every corner his imagination told him this would be it. This would be where he found him. Sundari stopped suddenly. Up ahead a bit he could see light dripping in through the treetops. Even though every tree was bare of leaves, they had grown so close together that not much light seemed to penetrate the massive garbled canopy of branches above. He strained his ears and scanned the area. The elf knew he had heard something just off his current path. The woods were much too silent for anyone less skilled than Slendari to be moving around without him noticing. At least Slendari was thinking that when a figure popped up directly in front of him. The elf halted in his tracks but did not go for a sword. The figure in the way, a dirty elf dressed in skins and dying vegetation, stared with wild eyes at Sundari before throwing back his head and calling out in what sounded to the elf to be the bray of a sickly mule. Sundari didn't have to move to know a second elf had emerged to his left and a third behind him. The silence and staring swirled around the four elves for several minutes. Sundari never quite understood what elves why would anyone give up a million years of heritage and pride to go and dress like a bush and eat squash and live in squalor like these woods? Every time he tried to talk to a Wood Elf, he always had the urge to talk loud and slow, enunciating every syllable with target precision. The Wood elves hated this, of course, which is perhaps why Slandari always had the urge to do it. And today was no exception. And the elf laid it on thick with a side of sarcasm and an ice-cold annoyance to wash it down with. Hello! I am elf friend, me a friend. I am Hazel Tongue. We don't take kindly to traitorous cousins between these trees, the wood elf standing in front of Slendari said in a hacked accent. Nor under the canopy of Luna and Juna, said the one next to Slendari, hand on his hip. That's funny, Slendari added, looking up and then back down at the branch and dirt-covered wood elf. I don't see any canopy, just a bunch of rotting twigs, idiots, and these bird-eating branches. Why are you here, demanded Tongue. The wood elf to Slendari's left coughed and brushed a twig from in front of his face. From the corner of his eye, the elf could see that these elves were... Far dirtier than he imagined. Fall into a pit or something, friendo? Slendari asked sarcastically, followed by a laugh at his own joke. No one moved. Hazeltongue stared hard into Slendari's eyes with a clouded and intense gray steel. The elf smirked and stared back, his peripheral vision noticing the swords that hung from the three Whedells' waists. You know, my mother used to always tell me two things about you Wood Elves. One, she said every morning Wood Elves started, end into the woods naked and take off running to the other side. And they wear whatever managed to stick to them. I gotta say, looking at you three, all covered in mud and sticks, I'd say she was right. The Wood Elves burst into unified laughter, filling the air with a vibration that felt out of place. The laughing came off extra-loud to Slendari, whose ears were still tuned to the silence of bird Snatch woods. The wood elf to the left and the one behind him fell silent with a wave of hazel-tongue's open and muddied hand. Ha! And do tell what was the second thing your ignorant mother told you about us. With the speed of a master and a wry smile on his face, Slendari withdrew his blade and sliced out in a wide arc to his left, doing several actions in quick succession as the momentum of the sword swing spun him in a full circle on his heels. The initial slash cut open Hazeltongue clean across the belly. As Slendari's left arm fully expended left and came up, he flung his sword towards the wood elf on his left, just as his right hand passed Hazeltongue, Slendari could hear the devastating crunch as the thrown sword slammed into the wood elf's face. The violinist quickly grabbed Tongue's sword from the wounded elf's belt line as he continued to spin around towards the elf that was behind him. The third one saw merely a blur of motion before Slendari had come around and cut his head clean off with the sword of Tongue. All three wood elves lay dead or dying on the forest floor by the time Slendari completed the single spin and found himself full circle, standing almost exactly as he had. He dropped the blood-flecked blade from his right hand and knelt down over Hazeltongue, who was moaning deeply and holding his own intestines. Secondly, Slendari said softly, she said to kill every one of the bastards that you meet. Slendari rose and walked over to the corpse of the wood elf that was standing to his left. He smiled to himself as he planted a foot on the dead elf's chest and swiftly pulled his sword from the face of the corpse. The blade had gone clean through the head and was protruding partly out the back. Slendari smiled again as he wiped the blade clean. He was rather impressed with himself. After carving the runic symbol of King Ray Ekmar on each of the dead elves' cheeks, the elf picked up the tailor's trail and continued deeper into Birdsnatch woods. He wasn't sure what would become of the confrontation with the wood elves, but he suspected there would be many more tucked between the trees. He kept his blade drawn and hoped the king's rune would scare them off or at least keep them at bay for now. Deterring official business of the king was something even a savage tribe of idiots should understand as being a very bad decision. Dusk had begun to trickle down through the bare branches and Slindari stopped once or twice to check his bearing with the stars. It was when gazing up at the hunter queen, Corrine, a constellation connected to power and courage, that the soft sound of singing drifted to his ear. With light steps, the elf crept towards the voice, who he recognized at once to be the tailor's. With further investigation, Slendari could now see the dancing lights and shadows of a fire upon the trees. From behind a dead oak, Slendari spotted the tailor in a small clearing. Taylor was sat on several luxurious and silky looking pillows with what looked like some sort of large doll or woman in his arms. Behind them was the same purple covered wagon Slindari had seen when he and the geldurst ambushed the Taylor and Aizen at the beach. The elf wondered how the tailor managed to replace the wagon after the tidal wave had hit. It was of little matter and it soon melted from his mind. The elf tightened his grip on his blade and thought of Aizen. Nonetheless, he held tight on his composure, even tighter. He had come this far, far enough to taste revenge on his tongue and wasn't about to blow it from losing his cool. There's one thing Slindari was. It was cool. Or so he told himself as he watched the tailor, who after several minutes of unlocking a chest by the fire and moving from it an arm, began to sew it onto the figure laid in his lap. The tailor sang as he sewed his voice as soft as his purple robes. "'Come, Mary, sweet, take like the wind.' Bind ourselves in other skin, love eternal, sweet, flows through time. Their blood, your heart, your love is mine. The season of warmth comes to you. Not a flame in your heart, cast back to rot. Stave it off for a day, one more day away. Always for one more day, one more bliss, forever in a moment for your kiss a thousand sets of lips if that is what it takes i will get them i will make my love eternal the tailor heard the light violin accompaniment gingerly glide in partway through the song in perfect unison but found himself unable to stop singing until the song ended it was not so much that he was physically unable to stop at least that's how he felt in the moment It was more the tingling sensation of comfort and safety woven in between his own voice and the soul-touching sound of the violin's notes. It washed over him and stole away his concerns. The tailor was enchanted by the song, so enchanted that he did not even notice the world around him had frozen. Magic had crept upon him. The violin stopped, and every ounce of comfort and safety fell away from the tailor like a crumbling mountain. Without looking up from his work, he spoke softly. I knew this wasn't over. When the wave hit from the ocean, King's Wrath, I knew. Did you now? Slendari responded coolly as he stepped into the clearing on the other side of the fire from where the tailor sat. The elf placed the violin back at his side and stared at the tailor through the time-stop fire, frozen in a great lick of orange. Several bugs were also unmoving in the air near the fire, and Slendari picked one out of the air. You cannot stop. You cannot rest, Master Elf. The whips and threats of a tyrant king are upon your back, laddie. Failure means death, or the mines, or even both. Probably both. Sundari's powerful smile slipped away. You think fear drives me? You think the king has a grip on me? He has it on everyone else, said Taylor, finally looking up at the elf. Sundari paused at the tailor's statement. Taylor saw his moment and continued talking. You can't lie to me, Elf, and don't lie to yourself either. You are terrified of failure and of the king. Yes, it's true. You want the power, you want the glory, but you've not the heart for it. Nor the spine to defy your dear, sweet king. You bubble and hiss your pride, but your couple never runneth over. You are selfish, but you are also a coward. And together, that is all you are. Taylor stared hard at Slendari as he said this. He let his voice grow loud and bared his teeth in a mock smile. Slendari seemed unimpressed and slowly moved his hand down to his violin. Without breaking the stare between them, the elf brought the violin up and pinched it under his neck in ready position. He withdrew his bow and drew it across the strings lightly with long strokes like that of a mother brushing her child's hair. A deep and low note hummed through the trees as the elf began to play. Do you know this song? The tailor blinked a few times before clutching his chest and falling over to his side in a great heap of pillows and purple robe. Sundari continued to play as he walked over to the tailor who was now sprawled out on his back and stood over him. This song is called The Heart of Strings. Did you know that? No, of course you didn't. It's a song from distant Corhagen. You're an idiot with no real sense of class and taste beyond the sp- purple that you wear that you seem so obsessed with. This song was composed by my great-grandfather well before your stinking life ever began. Its effect is that the victim's heartbeat flows with the speed of the song. So do you see now? Do you see? The question was rhetorical, for Slindari knew Taylor could not speak. Like a great politician finding his stride mid-speech, the elf's words took on an aggressive sense of power. You have caused me much aggravation. I have spent too long chasing you. Much, much too long. You have something I need. Something you are too stupid to see for what it is. Too stupid or too weak. As Centauri continued to speak, he slowed the violin song down a bit. This song has always been played very slowly. Each bar of the piece a slower tempo than the one before so that the affected have a very slow and... Drifting, thoughtful death leaves them time to think about things and let the knowledge of death really sink in just before I find it most exhilarating. With that, Slendari vigorously began pushing and pulling the bowstring across the violin like a lumberjack would use his handsaw. The violin shrieked in responding discord as Slendari went faster and faster with escalating fury. One of the violin strings popped loudly and snapped Slendari in the face. A drop of blood trickled from his cheek, but he continued to chaotically play the violin. Taylor's chest began to heave faster and faster, sweat pouring from his brow. He sucked in air as he had just run out of life. More and more the Taylor's chest rose and fell, he tried to hold on. He tried to scream in between each sporadic breath. He could hear his heart thundering in his ear so fast that he could no longer hear the heartbeats, but just one long, blurring hum. His back arched rigidly and Slindari stopped abruptly. The elf dropped down over the tailor so that he was sitting on the tailor's stomach, a knee on each side of him. The elf leaned down to whisper in the tailor's ear. I know you are dead now, but your spirit can hear me. I want you to know that this is far from over. I want you to know in your still little heart that I intend to find the boy. I intend to kill him. Cut him open, tailor. Oh, yes, spill his blood and bind his spirit to this realm forever. Slindari stood and spat down at the dead tailor. He looked around, quite satisfied with himself. The elf disrobed the tailor and put on the deep purple robes, lifting the hood up over his head. Something poked him, and his left hand felt the long object in the robe's left pocket. He slid his hand into the soft fabric and knew instantly what it was, cold and yet warm. "'Twas the blue wand. Slendari smiled. Taking in the clearing, the violinist found the small path Taylor had used to drive his purple-covered wagon into the woods. He didn't know if the wood elves were watching him or not, so he tossed a large and lifeless, still doll-like figure in the chest into the back of the covered wagon. The last thing he wanted was those idiots getting any part of his spoils. Besides, what was special to the tailor might just lead the elf to better get the jump on the boy wanderer. Sundari hopped up on the driver's bench of the carriage and set off to intercept Manik and the boy, whistling loudly as if not a care in the world. Finally he thought the world is mine. Halfway out of Bird Snatch Woods the violin's still effects began to wear off on Pearlie. She sat up quietly and checked the arm that the tailor had sewn on minutes ago. She had not seen much of the Mad Elf's actions, but she had heard everything. Sundari's whistling floated into the rear of the carriage as Pearlie lay down and tried to look as doll-like as she could. For the first time in her existence, she was glad that she couldn't cry. I hope you guys appreciated this more laid-back format and We've tried to do a couple of things to make the vocals sound a little better. Um, we just want to say thank you again from all of us here at The White Door. We hope you enjoyed Chapter 16, The Heart of Strings. Catch us in about 30, 45 days, we promise this time. Uh, for Chapter 17, The Rearranging of Rubis Kill. we're going to join back up with Janus, Mantic, and Isa as they try to solve puzzle and in the midst you guys will learn a lot about the history of Janus and his blade and how things have come to pass so stick around we got a lot more coming up with the White Door we're going to be doing a lot more changes and uh, as always we just want to say thank you Um, we know in a world of uh, ever-growing AI and great storytellers that You know, things can get lost. And so anybody who does listen, we really appreciate it. So thank you so much. And come back and see us for chapter 17.